Welcome to This Week in Sparkling Water. I'm the host of This Week in Sparkling Water. This is this week's episode of This Week in Sparkling Water. My name is Ewokim Maxon. <sighs> I feel good. I feel a little bit weird because it's my day off. I've been chilling. I've been putzing. I've been doing little things, prepping my taxes. And I had this plan in my head when I woke up of how I was going to arrange my day. And I was like, I'll record a podcast at 2 p.m. And then um, I just did other stuff. And now it's 11.25 p.m. And I just feel like, yeah, I was doing nothing. I was doing nothing there for a while, but, you know, that's a peaceful thing to do sometimes. And It was nice. This episode is a little bit on a time limit because I'm baking a loaf of bread here, and at this stage, the dough needs to rise for one hour. So I can't really let it go. This episode can only be one hour, and then I need to go down and put this put this bad little dough in the oven because he's been a bad dough <laughs> worst joke ever um, I, I bought this $3,000 gaming computer um, because I haven't had a gaming computer for 20 years and I've been playing a little bit of video games on the Nintendo Switch and I bought this thing because it sometimes with stuff like that with technology. It's fun to just wait for a long time until it gets way better than you're used to and then you go in and then it's like this shock to your system. Like sometimes it's fun to unplug and not keep track of it for like 10 years. So all my frame of reference is like PC games from 15 years ago that are shitty. And then now now I'm about to play the absolute most... I bought this future-proof computer. I'm about to play the most graphically advanced games and um and ooh, i need a little lens wipe for my glasses <clears throat> okay i'm back i'm sorry um so i've been wanting to i'm gonna buy um a vr headset and i'm gonna um, play vr games and and um there doesn't seem to be that many of them in terms of VR, I think I'm going in too soon. I think if you wait five more years, it'll probably be way better. But but I was on YouTube a little bit just checking out, like, what is there? What games are there? And I found this one video of a game called Blade and Sorcery. And it's just, the video is the guy playing and talking over it and describing how he feels. And it's a very honest video. It's a video game which is... It's super straightforward and it's exactly what you would expect uh, because so it's VR and you have these two handheld things and it's a sword fighting game. It's like a little adventure game where you go through these dungeons and castles and stuff like that and there's enemies and you have a sword and they have a sword and you fight them with a sword. And it's so straightforward and it's like you you have this free held thing in your hand which is like just a handle for the sword and so so when they chop at you you have to like 
check out the angle that the sword is coming and you have to like parry. And it's so straightforward. It's like the first idea anyone would have when it comes to VR and having two handheld free floating things in your hands that interact with the VR world. But so now they made it look good and like pretty realistic. And then the thing about it is that the thing you don't realize is that if two people are fighting with a sword at the end of it, one of them must die. And, and it's like this realistic looking game. And at the end, he just gets them up against the wall and then he just has to take his actual physical hand, which he has a VR headset on and he can look down on his hand and he can see how he's holding a sword in his hand. And with his other hand, he's like holding the neck of the enemy. And in this world, which is so immersive and he's in there with the VR headset and it's it's 360 degrees and he's looking around and it's everything. In that world, he has to take the sword and like shove the sword shove the blade into the face, into the eyeball of this fairly realistic looking man or woman whose neck he's like holding in his hand. And it's like, <laughs> he talks about how it's like, it's terrible. It's just one step too far somehow. Somehow video games were always violent. and We all, always had that conversation about like, will it make us more violent and all that stuff? And I never felt like, I was always hesitant and I was always skeptical and I always felt like I need to see some data to prove to me that people get more violent from playing video games because it's just entertainment. They're just fun. But that's not the conversation I'm having. The conversation I'm having is, is it entertaining or not? And the thing about like old PC games where you're playing and you're shooting someone and it's violent, they were entertaining. Even though you shot someone in the face, it was like you were holding a mouse and you had a keyboard and you're looking at a screen and it's like there's a little level of separation. But but in this Blade and Sorcery game with the VR headset with the guy who's really in there, and it's like he made this 10-minute video of just himself killing people over and over. Like he's holding someone over a cliff. And he's holding them by the neck and he's got a sword in one hand and he's like, do you want me to drop you so you die from falling or do you want me to stab you in the face? And then they just like scream and they obviously can't hear him, but it's like, and then he accidentally stabs him in the arm. And the whole thing is like, he just, <laughs> he just goes through this. He, I mean, what he talks about is just how it's, it's not actually good entertainment because it's like upsetting. Like it's too upsetting. Like it's not going in the direction of photorealistic when it comes to having, looking down on your own hand and being immersed in a ver world and seeing that you have a knife in your hand. <laughs> it's just, it's too much. Like we're gonna have to, we're gonna have to make stuff more cartoony or something. Cause this is, this is about to be really uncomfortable. Like this is about to be bad entertainment. Um, when we make it, just, it's, it's about to, I still don't have an opinion on like, do video games make us more violent? But I think, I think I believe this guy's point that it's like, I don't know. He just, he just kept talking about how he he felt like he needed therapy after playing the game a bunch, and but it's it looks like an incredible game. The oven has heated up. It looks like an incredible game. Like you just have two hands, 
in the game where you can just interact with the world. You can grow up to people and you can like grab. If, if a guy is about to stab you, you can reach out, like grab his hand so he doesn't stab you. And then if someone has like a bow and arrow, you can like walk up there and just like hold the bow and arrow and then he can't shoot you. And he's just like holding his body. It's just like so, so interesting. It's interesting because none of it is that good yet. It's more like all about, um, like you're looking at it and all you can think about is like, what about 10 years from now? Because three years from now, it's going to be immense, way better already. So what about 10 years from now when it's like full photorealistic? The metaverse is about to be crazy, my dude. But yeah, I mean, I'm sure I'll have something to say about that in two months when I get this computer that I bought a month ago. And that's all thanks to the supply chain crisis. Yeah. I wonder if I had COVID just now. It's like... My throat is like dry. And it's just been feeling dry, but I can't decide if it's because it's cold out. So I always have the AC running, so the air is really dry. And then I was trying to buy a humidifier on Amazon, but because of the supply chain crisis, there's no fucking... It's like a three-week delivery time in like three weeks from now. And I've been just wondering if I have COVID and... Um, there are no tests because of the supply chain crisis. Um, <clears throat> I, um, <laughs> different topic. I, I think I need to drink a water though. Yeah, I need to drink water cause I'm thirsty as fuck. Good and Gather, which is Target's brand. I, I'm a big Good and Gather fan actually. It's been a while since we did any of these. This episode we're doing mixed berry. We're just doing berry. Good and Gather. So what's on the can? Strawberries and raspberries. Oh, wow, that's good. That's a 7.5 out of 10 because it's just really refreshing. It's really watery, and it's a really good mixed berry flavor. <clears throat> so I read this article on the Internet. I only read like three sentences of this article, but I already formed a complete opinion on this. The article was shitting on the Pope. Um, because the Pope, it, it, the Pope just does speeches, I guess. I guess he just speaks and people listen. And his new thing is that the Pope thinks it's shitty that we, um, that new, that like modern secular couples are choosing to do pets instead of babies. And he thinks it's like a death of spirituality. And, um. He thinks it's like the end of our civilization that we're choosing pets instead of he hate the, the Pope hates pets. And I'm reading this and it's just like, it's so funny to me because it's so clear how, well, first of all, shouts out to Natasha. Cause like Natasha at Holbrook, like two, three nights ago after work, we all like went to just Gary's, which is like a, block from work and we just like everyone had one drink and I had a a soda water with a, a, a wedge of lime squeezed into it so good um I had a sparkling water 
And um, Natasha is all drunk and she's like, I never want to have kids. I just want four dogs and then I'm good. So yeah, the Pope is not wrong. People do think that. But it's just a very nuanced conversation about everything, you know? You know, maybe it's an economic story about how it's so expensive to have kids. No, excuse me. A little Target burp. That burp was brought to you by Target. Um, you know, the reason people are having dogs instead of babies is maybe very complicated. And it, maybe it's in one sense an economic story about how, you know, the real fucking purchasing power of people's wages have been falling for decades, yada, 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 the price of healthcare, blah, blah, blah. Maybe there's a totally different angle where it's really like about the environment and everyone feels like the planet is on fire, yada, yada, yada. Who wants to bring a kid into this world? Like there's so many angles and the Pope is just like super narrow on it. And he's just like, no, dogs are bad. And it made me think of how like the Pope is just a guy and the Pope it's really just a podcaster and he's really just he his shitty opinions are just as shitty as my opinions <laughs> it's like the pope is definitely surrounded by a bunch of yes men and he just gets to have little ideas and talk about little stuff that he's thinking about and he's a crotchety old man And, you know, God listens to all of our podcasts the same. It's what I think. <laughs> you know, unforgiving universe. The God I don't believe in. He listens to everyone's podcast the same. He subscribes to all of them the same. The Pope, so stupid. All right, let's do another water. I didn't even time it. Oh, no, I did. Oh, yeah. I mean, I obviously know what's going on. Um, so this one is cool. Drink simple. Sparkling maple water. Nutrient-rich and deliciously hydrating. Raspberry lemon. Yeah, I mean, on one angle, it's irresponsible for me to work if I have COVID. But, like, I don't think I had COVID. And I have these, like, long 10-hour shifts where I'm briskly walking for 10 hours. And anything I know about COVID is that you get tired. And it's like, if I had COVID, I couldn't do it. And I'd do it and I'm fine. So I have to assume that I didn't have COVID. But my throat is real dry and it's been dry. But it's been dry for like two weeks. So I don't know what to tell you. Does that make me a bad person? At this point, it's just like, we're in a weird point in the pandemic, honestly. Ooh, that's really nice. Sparkling maple water. I will say that maple syrup is a flavor that doesn't lend itself to being a whisper. Maple syrup is a flavor that you want. You want a good dollop of maple syrup on a pancake and you want to really feel the maple and the syrup and you, you want a lot of it. And getting just a tiny bit of it makes you just want more of it. Which makes it different from grapefruit and lemon and lime and those kinds of things. Because those things, a whisper is delicious in itself, but this feels like diluted. 
in a way where you need you need more there's no raspberry in here might be some lemon it's very nice though it's also a 7.5 but it's a little bit confused but it, it gets extra points for for being kind of experimental what was i saying we're in a weird point in the pandemic because it's like there there was a time when like I don't know. I mean, I guess it's because no one was vaccinated back then, but there was definitely a time where if you'd interacted with someone who had COVID, you were in a state of shock. And now it's like, I've interacted with like 50 people who had COVID in the last four months. Like everyone at work had COVID at some point. And I worked with them a little bit and then they go away and they have COVID and they don't go to work, obviously, because we do it real good and real safe in there. And then I just never get it. So I guess, you know, I guess we do it pretty good and pretty safe because I work with him and I don't get COVID, but I don't know. <clears throat> I don't know, man. I've just been on my computer all day. I watched some videos of guys playing VR video games. Then I watched this one YouTube video that I found extremely unsettling, which is like this. I think I've heard of this before, so I'm not really presenting this as new information to you, but. There's a parasite in fish. It's like a little insectoid, water insect parasite. It enters the fish through the gills. It climbs around inside of the fish until it gets to the mouth. And then it uses its little corner teeth to sever the, the veins in the tongue of the fish so that the tongue of the fish no longer gets blood, so that it, through necrosis, just like atrophies and falls off. So the fish no longer has a tongue. And then the parasite, the little insectoid, attaches itself, just holds on to the stump, the little muscle stump where the tongue used to be, and it just becomes the new tongue and this little insect with a little face is the tongue of the fish and i just found it so fucking unsettling to think about that and there are these horrible photos of it we can see a little face sticking out on this tongue-shaped thing sticking out of the mouth of this sad fish i know we think of like fish as we 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 sh we do and we probably should think of fish as animals that suffer less. They just have a less sophisticated um, nervous system and consciousness and all of it. So their suffering should be priced at a lower, should be viewed as less value, less important compared to like the suffering of a chimpanzee or whatever. But there's something about the way the eyes of a fish look. Like fishes look like they're suffering. God. Fishes look like they're in trouble. I don't know. I didn't like it. I didn't like it one bit. I didn't like that video. I was also talking to Ingrid today a little bit, and she was uh, sending me these funny voice messages about disagreeing about everything on my podcast, and... Uh, Yeah. 
she was talking about how we have this like dangerous misunderstanding now where we people in the modern world think that we think better than people in history than people 200 years ago and a thousand years ago but really we're kind of the same people and we kind of think the same quality thoughts and we're a little bit more well informed but our the quality of our thoughts and our thinking is kind of the same and it's like dangerous to have that hubris and that does really speak to me and <clears throat> and she was talking about how one consequence of that is that we're asked to decide things for ourselves which are kind of ridiculous and she just had her second baby and like in healthcare and stuff she's asked to decide these like things about you know does she want an epidural does she want this does she want that and it's like there are all these decisions and Really, when you think about it coldly and rationally, we should leave it up to experts, is what Ingrid is saying and what I'm agreeing with. And um, yeah, it just just made me think of Ice Boy Plumbing and how me and Ice Boy Plumbing, who is like the ultimate libertarian American hippie, we get in these arguments and and I'll say things like that where I just want, like, I think we should have a society organized so that there are experts who are in charge of stuff so that people who have studied a question their whole life get to decide what we do with that question, you know, how to fucking set up regulation for something, how to take care of the environment, how to like solve everything, fucking public transportation, get it all going, you know, and we need experts. And we need to like give our money to the experts and empower them to solve these problems. So we can have like an efficient situation. And deep down, I mean, sure, if you talk about it in like, should we have a transportation secretary? Most Americans will agree that, yeah, you should have one and they should do their job and they should do it good and all that stuff. But it's like, then you get to more sensitive stuff like healthcare, healthcare, healthcare decisions. And it's like, I get to a point with Americans where we disagree so fundamentally that they don't even believe that I am, that I truly hold the opinions that I say that I hold. Like they don't even, <laughs> when I'm talking to Ice Boy Plumbing and his wife, they both will, I will say things like, I really just want the government to decide a lot of things for me. They like don't think that that's even an opinion that anyone has because it's such a crazy opinion to them. Or not that no one has it because they, they do believe that there are like brainwashed liberal cult members living in the, living in squalor in big cities and that those people believe these things. But then there's me and like we get along and we all think we're all smart and stuff and we talk about stuff and it's like fun and, you know, they don't think I'm that brainwashed. So they like cannot conceptualize that someone like me who seems like a normal person to them or whatever. Nah, that's really not the word. I do not seem like a normal person to them, but but – Honestly, I don't know how they see me, so I don't know. But it's just, 
I just think that that institution trust thing is something where we really grew apart. Like differences in culture is really amorphous and really changes from generation to generation. And we have so many like um, stereotypes about it that I don't think are true. And I think we're really bad at actually knowing the differences. And um, I don't know. It's just something that me and Sebastian always, like we've always had that question and turn that question over like so what is the cultural differences between these peoples like like we lived in china for 10 years and it's like and we would like talk about it and be like and i would make statements about like so would you agree that chinese people are a little bit more like this and this and this and and, it's, and use different adjectives and traits and be like and swedish people are more this and this and this and we'd never we'd never come up with anything we'd never come up with anything that made sense because we could always find a, find a counter-argument. And the only real thing... First, I just want to wrap up and say that I, I do feel like I'm zooming in on one actual cultural difference there. That Swedes just have this thing where we still believe in institutions and experts and want them to be the stewards of things in our lives. And Americans have this deep skeptical distrust that Ingrid points out because <clears throat> we were talking about it a little bit. Historically, it's that's not what the idea was with America. Like that's it's an it's an error to think that that that's what America always was because it wasn't. That was not the point of the America thing. That was not the point of the Constitution. Founding fathers they had not they their thing was not that we should always distrust our institutions. That's like made up afterwards. It's just something Americans believe now that you have to discard everything. But what I was going to say is the. The thing that Sebastian and me always um, – Sebastian more than me – would always go back to is like I would make a statement like Chinese people are a little bit like this is what I would say. And then Sebastian would bring up this story of how when I, when we were both students in Sweden – I was living in Ulrike Dahl. I lived there two times, two separate times, five years apart. The first time I was like 18 or 19, straight out of high school. I did one year of school before moving to China. And I was living in Ulrike Dahl for one year. And I was living there with Stephen Atherton, a man who made an incredible impression on me. And even though this is in 2005, it's almost 20 years ago. I'm still friends with him. We talk on WhatsApp all the time. Love the guy. Um, he taught me and showed me many things because he was just such a, he was a little bit older than me. He, he's Canadian and he just like was a very thoughtful, interesting guy. And he had these great parents that came and visited him from Canada and they stayed in his little dorm room and we had dinner with them. <laughs> Fuck, this is so stupid because I don't remember the actual thing. But the thing was that we had a big dinner in the in the dorm room. In Sweden, it's called a corridor. Everyone has their own bedroom and their own bathroom, and you have a shared kitchen and a shared shower. And it's all connected in one long hallway. 
And a hallway is called a corridor in Sweden, Swedish, which is sort of also is in English, but whatever. You, you get what I'm saying. That's the setup. In America, it's a little bit different. In America, I think you, you don't, you share everything most of the time. I think in most dorm rooms, you have, you share your bedroom with someone. In Sweden, that's insane. And you have your own bedroom. Anyway, we have a shared kitchen. Steven has one bedroom in there. I have one bedroom in there. His family, his, both of his parents come and visit, um, in Sweden, and we have a big dinner, and Sebastian shows up for the dinner. And during this dinner, Stephen's parents, who are visiting for a week, they make all these statements. They make all these ridiculous statements about Swedish people because they're just a little bit intellectually curious, and they're a little bit analytical. But, you know, <clears throat> the road to fucking stupid hell is paved with tiny little bricks made of being a little bit analytical and a little bit curious and and not having a good sense of proportion and not realizing that we don't know, you know? Because that's, that's the point of what I'm saying about cultural differences. We kind of just don't know. And they made all these very definitive statements and observations about Swedish people. And me and Sebastian didn't argue with them. It was nothing like that. Because we just looked at each other and it was like so obvious to us that these observations are terrible. These observations make no sense. These observations do not resonate with our understanding of what Swedish people are. And we've lived in Sweden for 18 years. And, you know, we might have been wrong. We might have been blind to something because we were Swedes ourselves. Who knows? But really what we took away from that was like just a lesson that really, really smart people, well-meaning, analytical, intellectually curious people <laughs> can make these observations. And, you know, when you make these observations about peoples and differences in peoples, there's almost never any firm grand ground to stand on. Like, there's nothing that really makes sense. And nothing they said made sense. And then whenever we were in China, and I would be like, aren't Chinese people all a little bit the same? He'd just be like, you remember Stephen Atherton's parents? <laughs> and I'd be like, fuck, <laughs> you're right. <laughs> Chinese people are not all the same. They're all different, just like us. Yeah, humility is, I mean, it's interesting because another, uh, like, arena where we applied the Stephen Atherton's parents thing is that um, when, when the WikiLeaks thing happened, they leaked all these cables between, that go between the U.S. embassies and... What's fascinating in there is that you can go in and you can read these confidential cables that, I mean, they're confidential, they're, they're, they're not, you know, they're, they um, shouldn't be available to the public without, I mean, um, we wouldn't have them if it wasn't WikiLeaks or whatever, but they're, they're really just sort of low-grade um, – a lot of it is like not that important. And there's not really a good reason for it to be secret, but you can read a lot of it. And it's some, some of it is kind of well written because it's like 
written by diplomats and civil service staff and uh, foreign, what's it called? Foreign service officers? Is that what it's called in America? Um, educated, literate people in different embassies and consulates all over Earth. And they make these observations about the local population because a part of their job is to like analyze the culture and to take, take the temperature on what's going on. And what you, when you read a bunch of them and when you read them through the lens of being two Swedish people living in China, you realize that they are not so much observing, like we've read a bunch from the Middle East and you realize that they're making these observations about the group think of these like Arabs in the town square, these Arabs just sort of languishing in the dusty town square. And they make these generalizations and you realize that there's very little information in there about actual Arabs. And it's way more just a story about how expats, how like affluent privileged expats will always see a sort of lower socioeconomic local population in a foreign country that they don't understand the language of because all of these weird statements that they would make about the group think and about how uncultured they were and what they did and didn't understand and what they were and weren't ready for as a people and like are they ready for democracy all these like really condescending questions what you can really take away from it is that The blind spots of those diplomats are the exact same blind spots that we had being Swedes in China. And really, you have a very poor understanding of the society around you as a foreigner. Because it's really just, it's, and, and it, what it is, it's just an expat story. It's just a foreigner story. And I, there was a really sort of, we read a bunch of those and we talked about it and there was like a really profound meta observation for me in, in that, that I really sort of like, oh man, just sort of how, God damn it, it's discouraging to realize that there's so little for us. Like we, we were so bad, like you, we make these observations and we think we're smart and we think we're noticing things and we think we're having ideas and it's like, God damn it, man. There's just nothing, there's nothing truth. Like we're not close to anything here, you know? And, uh, and yeah. You know, that reminds me of, um, a fascinating podcast I heard about super forecasters and, and how, um, like the CAA set up some fucking competition about forecasting the future. And, um, it was just some open source thing or some open to the public thing where anyone could go on the website and sort of write. And, and it, so, so it was like you go on a website and you, you take the test where you, you you describe what you think will happen with these extremely heterogeneous questions of like, you know, how is how is Syria going to play out? You know, what's going to happen to the economy in Ukraine? You know, what's going to happen to this cult in sub-Saharan Africa that's like doing this to women? You know, all these like different questions about different places in the world. And the idea was sort of that 
No one is an expert on all of those fields and areas and countries. So it's more about finding what mindset is really good for understanding and forecasting when it comes to these extremely different questions. And then there was this one guy who led this one university-sourced group of people that won the competition and that won like the one against like the CAA's own people. God, I feel like I'm, I'm rambling a little bit here. But the point was that there was this one group that won and they were really good at forecasting the answer to all these like extremely different questions. And so this researcher looked at them and interviewed them and, and, and sort of studied how they approached questions and made certain observations that were really interesting to me because it's like how... Uh, it's about how if you believe too much in an ism, like if you are, if you believe that the free market is the thing that can solve all your problems, or if you believe that if you're a techno-optimist and you think that the technology is going to solve all problems, or if you're like a fucking real bread and butter communist and you kind of just see everything through a lens of Maoism whatever, if you have a defined lens, you will always err on the same side and and do things poorly. But if you have this like, and, and forecast poorly, but if you have this like, all these super forecasters that won, the people that rose to the top in this competition, all had this really, really detached attitude of not having a horse in the race. And this like really open attitude of wanting to question themselves. And it's, um, what's interesting about that, I think, is that it it makes for a really, um, it, it makes, it creates a person that makes all these like really ambiguous statements where it's like you say one thing, but then you can also see the other side and you say that it might go this other way too. And it's like a type of, it's a way of speaking that's not, that we don't, that the media landscape doesn't value. Because our media landscape values definitive statements. And someone with like a clear direction that they're coming from, who will now be like, look, I have the, I have the fucking lens. You know? I have the two principles. I have the one principle that you can apply to anything and it solves any problem. And um, and then you make these really definitive statements and it really catches your attention. And it's like we, we have this media landscape that really sort of elevates those voices and definitive statements. And it's – I don't think that's helping us. I don't think that's helping us. But, um, yeah, that reminds me of my – thinking about it like that reminds – it reminds me of my um, – Oh, my thesis I wrote for my Chinese bachelor is like I compared the 20 most highest selling um, books in the business section in, in America versus the 20 most highest selling books in the business section on Chinese Amazon, Chinese Amazon versus American Amazon. And it's funny because I didn't realize as I was saying that, but that was the same thing. I was still trying to like come up with, so what's the cultural difference here though, guys? Like what's the difference though? 
is there some cultural difference here? And my whole thesis was about that. Like, so what does this say? Like, can we make some definitive statements? And I'm like, I just made like 13 statements or something about like the difference between Americans and Chinese people <laughs> for my thesis. So stupid. Ridiculous. Um, so somewhere in my brain, I know that humility is the answer, but humility does not come natural to, to this Swede. Um, it just doesn't. Oh, but yeah, I mean, the, the, so what I did for the thesis is I read these 40 books and it was disgusting. And the business books, they were like awful. They were all self-help books. And every single book was written in, with the, it, with the exact same problem. With the exact, I found the same thing disgusting in every single book because every single book had the same thing of like, so this is a self-help book and I'm going to teach you this principle. And with this principle, with this lens, looking at any problem through this lens will make it super easy to solve the problem. And it would be anything. It's like a guy who's like, okay, so I'm going to look at all the problems in the world through the lens of demographics and like where demographics were, like where the demographics were 20 years ago and where they are now and where, where I can then project that they will be in 20 years. And he looked at every single thing all over the world through the lens of demographics or like fucking waking up early in the morning, you know, like whatever. And the human mind is just really good at putting on a pair of glasses and teaching yourself what those glasses are and then learning how to forget that you're wearing those glasses and to see everything through those glasses. God damn it, that's, that comes easy to us. It just does. And then when some guy has a pair of glasses on that he invented and he's looking at everything through those glasses that he invented and then he talks real definitively, God damn it, it comes easy to us to just follow that guy. Whereas in reality, like some soft-spoken guy who speaks with speech littered with a bunch of all those and buts and howevers, that's the guy we actually should listen to. But the interesting thing about all of that is that me and Sebastian were chilling in China 10 years ago and reading fucking leaked cables on WikiLeaks and, and um, shitting on these diplomats. And then... I never got my shit together, but Sebastian became a diplomat, and he's a diplomat now. And I do find that heartening, because maybe humility comes easy to that guy. And maybe maybe there are some logical fallacies about what we think we know as expats. Maybe there are some things that he... Maybe there are some things he can avoid. God... I played so many games of chess today that like when I close my eyes, I just see a chess board and I just like see the pieces moving and it's just like Bishop takes B4, you know, <laughs> queen pins Bishop check, you know, block with the rook pinned block with the rook pinned. And I just can't stop it. It's just my mind. is just like, in a chess vortex. God, I love chess. Yeah. 
I don't know. I just want people to decide things for me. I just want the humble people to be in control and I want them to make all my decisions for me. <sighs> so, Bob Saget died. Like a couple of episodes ago, I did this episode called about Joan Didion and how she died. And, um, And he got real sad and stuff, and, and then now Bob Saget died, and I don't think I'm doing the same thing here, because I don't really give a shit about Bob Saget, but, I mean, it's sad that, that a human being died, but um, it does have this weird implication for me, because for some reason, when I... first left Sweden, people would talk to me and be like, people would be like, why do you, why do you sound like an American? And I'd say, it's, so there's, there's two ways to respond. It, either it's like, I'm talking to someone that I like care about and want to get to know, or like, I respect their opinion, something. And I'm like, no, that's not how I should say it. Either I, I want to actually have a conversation, which is rarely, or I'm just doing small talk and just trying to be funny and just trying to wrap it up. And most of the time in my life, I'm just doing small talk and I'm just trying to be funny and I just want to wrap it up. So what I would say is just that I would just say that, yeah, we watch a lot of television in Sweden. Okay. That's it. We just watch a lot of television. I learned English by watching television, full house. And then it, this is how I would say it. I'd be like, I watched a lot of television and I learned English by watching television. And then I'd be like, Full House. I watched a lot of Full House. Bob Saget, you know? That's what I would say. I said it just like that. And then I would say it the same way every time, you know, because I'm in fucking China and all these fucking Americans are like, why do you sound like an American? And I'd just say it the same way every time. Because I just... Sometimes... You just have an answer and you don't want to waste brain power on like coming up with some other answer. Like just, this is the, this is my short canned answer when I'm just trying to move on to a different topic. So I just say that and then I like say something else and then we like talk about something else. So I was saying that and then I realized that for like, I realized that I'd been saying that for like three years as an answer when someone in passing, someone I don't know, someone I'm not going to ever meet again. That's just what I always say. And then I realized after three years that I've been saying the same thing. And when you went with a lot of things, I repeat myself. <laughs> and after repeating myself a bunch, after a while, you get to this fork in the road where you have to choose. You have to choose either like, is it fucking embarrassing that I just say the same thing and I need to fucking not say the same thing over and over? Or do I double down and make this for myself in my own heart a symbol for how I am consistent and how I am the same person that I was in the past? And for some reason, that thing, that answer became in my heart to myself, a symbol of how as much as I like 
you know, I get new friends, I lose friends, I gain friends, I like do different jobs, I lose an entire career, I fucking have nothing to do, I do something else, I learn how to do that, I forget how to do that, I'm like in a new place, I'm in a new city, I don't recognize anything, there's nothing around me that stays consistent. There is very few things in my life that remain consistent that I, that I clung to, to, to experience a feeling of sanity, even as I sort of like tumbled through these places and honestly was running away from, you know, I've covered this on the pod many times, how like really what I was doing moving from place to place and stuff is that I was always feeling shitty and I always pulled a geographic, as we say in AA, and I always just was running away from my emotions and thinking that, oh, if I just move to a new place, I'm going to feel better and I never felt fucking better, Okay. So I was always running away from my own feelings and yada, 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 blah, blah, blah. The point is that everything was always changing. And there were certain things I clung to, to feel consistent. And and somehow, one of the things that just was this weird thing that I have clung to for 15 years is that answer. And I swear to you, Bob Saget died like three days ago. I don't know. I swear to you, I I said it a week ago. Like a week ago, I remember clearly being at work. Because, you know, then as a server, you have to... You have to be able to be funny and quippy and say things real quick that people think is weird and they're like entertained by it and you give them a whole experience. But it needs to be quick and it needs to be the end. So it needs to be something you can say as you are walking away because I got places to go. I mean, I, I need to be somewhere else, bro. Like, like I'm going to, I'm going to say one funny thing real quick and I'm going to walk away and that's it. You know, I got to put your order in, brother. So, um, as a server, I've said that a million times. But a week ago, I had these two nice, upper-middle-class, middle-aged gay guys, probably married to each other, and they sit down, and I serve them, and they were real sus, they were real um, worried in the beginning about COVID, and the guy apologized for not having his mask on as he was ordering. And then I say, look, bro, I'm, I'm, I'm triple vaccinated and I, I, I feel perfectly healthy and I, um, I'm perfectly comfortable with you not having your mask on when you, when you are ordering your fucking beer for me. It's all good, brother. And then his husband comes over and he's all happy and he's like, oh, he's vaccinated. Because you never know, like, we're, I don't know that we're an anti-vaxxer country. We're kind of in, it's kind of purple around here, you know? It's kind of purple. It's kind of 50-50 and you don't know. And um, you can't ask. But so I think it's nice to just, when I read someone and can tell that they're like, yeah, they're, they'll be happy to know that I'm vaccinated, I'll tell them. So every time people are like worried about COVID, I'll just tell them that I'm vaccinated and then they get so happy. So his husband came back to the table and he was so happy that I was vaccinated and he's like, oh, he's vaccinated. So we can just, oh, and they just relaxed. There was no one sitting close to them. We were indoors. They were chilling. And then they like ask me for my name and stuff. And I tell them my name and they're like, and then what Americans can ask, because it's so fucking PC that you can't ask someone like, so what are you? You know, you're not allowed to ask someone, what are you? You're not allowed to ask someone where you're from. Because you might be, even though it might not be a white person, they might be from right here, you know? Because that's called otherizing, and that's frowned upon. So what they what they can ask 
when you tell them that you have a weird ass name like Joachim, is they can ask, what's that from? <laughs> it's so fucking funny. It's the PC way of asking it. They ask, what's that from? Which is funny because um, I remember like on the same night, Miguel slash Michael, he's like, he's like a little bit Cuban and a little bit Mexican and a little bit uh, something else. But he, he's like not super white. And he, he, I think he has like a Mexican driver's license and he's an American citizen. So on his American paperwork, it says his first name is Michael. And on his um, Mexican shit, it says that his, he has like a Mexican birth certificate or some shit. It says that his first name is Miguel. So he kind of has both names legally. So he likes to tell people Miguel in there. And I like to call him Michael and fucking rest control back. Um but he's not super white. And then there was this super annoying lady sitting at the bar who was flirting with him, trying to flirt with him because he's super handsome. And she asked in a more tone-deaf way because she asked him the same question. Like, it's the same night and him and, him and me are having the same experience of people wanting to know, like, what are you? But they don't ask, what are you? I was asked... What is that from when I tell them a weird name? And he, she asked him, what nationalities are you? And it's like, lady, what does that mean? Like, what the fuck does that mean? And then he's such a fucking nice guy that he just, like, gives her the information she wants. And he's like, yeah, you know, I'm Puerto Rican and Cuban and Mexican or whatever. And, um, but you're really not supposed to, like, just meet someone who, you know, speaks perfect English and is just like a person and you're not supposed to ask them like, what nationality are you? Because that's otherizing as fuck and that's rude and that's not very inclusive. But so uh, the point was that these two gay guys asked me like, um, where's, where's that from? And I'm like, yeah, so I'm from Sweden and Joachim is a very normal name in Sweden. That's what I told them. And then they were like, oh yeah, so... Why don't you have an accent? And then I said, um, we watch a lot of television. <laughs> we watch a lot of television, you know? Grew up in the 90s, Full House, Bob Saget. Little did I know that that was probably the last time I was going to say that. Because now Bob Saget is dead. And it changes the whole thing. Like now, it's no longer this like light airy statement that I just throw up into the air and just watch it sort of fall down slowly, slowly being caught by the wind as I walk away. And they just like think about what I just said and just sort of smile to themselves of how, what a weird and what a weird statement that was that this server is kind of a kooky guy, but, but he knows a lot about the food. And Little did I know that that was the last time I was going to say it, because now I can't say it anymore, because now it's heavy. Now he's dead. Now it's like, if you talk about Bob Saget now, it means you're a Bob Saget superfan. You know? Things change, bro. Oh. I don't know about this bread. It's not really, It's not really rising. I think I overproofed it. I had such a lazy day. I um, was going to record a podcast at 2 p.m. and now it's midnight. <sighs> and I was going to, this 
bread should have been in the oven five hours ago, but I kept dragging my feet with each step and it got overproofed. So, um, Arrowhead is a brand of still water, mostly. People drink this water, Arrowhead, still. And it's disgusting. It tastes like fucking trash. It tastes like trash water. It has a disgusting flavor. I, a couple of weeks ago, I bought a bunch of bottles of Arrowhead because I have this feeling like, um, you should always be changing it up because who knows if you drink the same brand of water all the time and then later you find out that there's some tiny, tiny amount of chemical more than there should be in that water. And now you've been drinking the same water for 10 years. So you have an enormous buildup of that chemical in your body. It's some sort of remnant from China where. Everything was a little bit poisonous and it was good to always be bobbing and weaving and always changing your intake of everything. Not have too much of a habit with any food or beverage because you're going to poison yourself if you consume anything consistently. Um, so I'm like, I've been drinking a lot of, I was on the Essentia alkaline water for a while. I switched to the smart water, but I buy big jugs of crystal geyser. And then I was like, I've been doing Crystal Geyser too much. I better switch to Arrowhead. And I tried some Arrowhead and it was fucking disgusting. And then now for the first time, we're, we're reviewing an Arrowhead Sparkling. Triple Berry. So there's blueberries on there and there's strawberries. And there is something that looks like a raspberry, but it's blue. And I don't know what that is. Triple Berry. What is that third berry? Maybe it's a kumquat. Maybe it's a kum daddy. Ooh, that smells like soda. Yep, that's terrible. It's like, oh, that's terrible. Mm -hmm. Yep, that's the most artificial flavor I have ever tasted on anything. And that's all I'll say about it. That's a one out of ten. That's a one out of ten. Thank you for listening, everyone. It's been an hour. I'm going to put this, put this bad dough in the oven. <laughs>